a bee wakes up suddenly. It's the morning, but it's dark in the hive. Pitch black. The bee that woke her up crashes into her again. She's being trampled by sticky legs and bumped by fuzzy thoraxes. She fell asleep on the dance floor again. But she doesn't want to miss out on the latest nectar report. So she hops up and joins the conga line, making sure to remember the path. When she catches up to the bee leading the dance, she reaches out to touch her. The combination of the dance path and the vibrations tells her exactly where to look for the fresh flowers. She flies out. As she approaches the flowers, she starts singing the nectar song. Her song bounces around the flowers like the clapper of a bell. The plant is alert. If it hears a beetle, it'll produce volatile fatty acid derivatives to deter the bug from eating it. But the buzz from the bee excites this plant, and it quickly pumps more sugar into its nectar to encourage the bee to visit. A single flower calls out using electrical signals. It hasn't been visited yet, so it's full of pollen and nectar, and it wants to make sure that the bee knows it. After landing, the bee puts her pointy proboscis into the nectaries and slurps up the nectar with her long tongue. You're listening to Think Sustainability. I'm Lawrence Bull. We know that bees communicate via vibrations and via airborne sound, but also there are strong indications that plants as well react to sound. It's a very old mode of communication, but nevertheless very little explored by us humans. A lot of things we did is uh, human-centric, right? We do research to help humans, we develop materials to help humans. We interpret our world around us from our viewpoint, not from an insect viewpoint, which, if you put them side by side, could be seen equivalently, right? If you try to look through the eyes of an insect, you would see the world differently. But rarely we put ourselves in the shoes of other living organisms. I'm uh, Sebastian Oberst. I'm Associate Professor in the Center for Audio Acoustics and Vibration at UTS Tech Lab. And I'm leading the Biogenic Dynamics Lab. We do bioacoustics and vibration signals. I try to speak termite and I try to understand the complexity of their language. Dr. Oberst is also starting a new international project to learn the vibroacoustic language of plants and bees. What is communication? Can this already be called a communication? So communication is usually if, if it's a targeted information exchange. From the bee to the flower, we don't know if it's really targeted. But when they make the bus pollination, it could be targeted because it helps to release the, the pollen uh, for bumblebees and tomato plants, for instance. The plant responding with more nectar as a reward can be seen as kind of communication. There are already studies where they look at stressed plants, that they have more clicking sounds than non-stressed plants. For instance, 64 clicks per minute as opposed to one click per minute. And these are signals which insects could hear. So they travel up the plant and the plant itself acts as a loudspeaker in this sense 
or the flower itself with a pollinator might act, act like a microphone. So we are designing some, or we're about to modify plants genetically to be better microphones. <laughs> If you know, for instance, a stressed plant is clicking more in, in the ground, you might be able to develop an ideal irrigation system with a very cheap sensor. Basically, you would put a microphone, a geophone in the ground. It's a very sensitive geophone connected to an optical fiber using a liquid crystal. This optical geophone would be potentially able to detect these clicks and then start an irrigation process and saving water this way. Right. So it's kind of water on demand for the plants. Yeah, exactly. And wow. continuous. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. So the project is about basically you put everything, in the plant in the focus And the plant responds to pollinators, but also to predators. The bee and the bumblebee, they go around where the pollen sits and then they curl around and leave the wings flat and contract the muscles of the wing. And then all the energy goes through the legs into where the pollen sits and the pollen is released. So this is bus pollination. They do this and that's um, an evolutionary adaptation to between plants and the bees. But if you had, for instance... Um, a, a flower which would be even better in releasing pollen, you could have higher uh, yield. That's the idea. You might be able to optimize the plants for the greenhouse, but you would have trade-offs. So probably this plant wouldn't be as good as a natural plant in nature outside. But it might serve our purposes better yeah. or perhaps help bee populations. Exactly. There's also a strong indication that if you play sounds back, if you play vibrations back, that plants become more resilient depending on a certain frequency. So basically you train the plant with a certain type of stress to become more resilient against diseases. And this way you could uh, potentially also reduce fertilizers and insecticides or whatever you need. The provision of food worldwide is a big issue. And the reduction of chemicals and fertilizers is a big issue. This would be, in the very f far future, would be some benefits. At the moment, it's really about understanding plant-pollinator communication better. Mm -hmm. The flower will perceive the air puffs of the wing beats hitting the flower and also hears the sound. Certain bees have been observed improving the noise that they make, calibrating it to optimize it for the plant um, and releasing more nectar in subsequent visits, yeah, 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 yeah. which seems to imply some kind of intent in yeah, communication. Yeah. Or I suppose it could just be, you know, a Pavlovian response or something. It's just like, oh, I got more nectar when I did this move, so I'll do it again. Or They have a capacity of learning truly learning and they have individual different capacities of learning certain things also there are some indications that even plants can learn <laughs> whatever i don't know if it's it's not conscious it's not a conscious learning but they can adapt maybe we should call it adapting to different situations and to different pollinators it's fascinating isn't it even relatively recently we would have said that only Humans and a subset of animals that are closest to humans perhaps could learn, mammals and birds and, and things like that. And we never would have assumed plants, I suppose. That would be the most recent addition, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think it's, it's related to the strict definition of what learning is. Mm. And as we learn more and understand better what learning means, then we, we, we distinguish this from um, understanding 
and from consciousness. Mm. So I think there are certainly different levels of learning and understanding and so forth. But um, this is the human-centric uh, viewpoint, which is just coming from our history, which is quite natural, I guess. Right, that we kind of put cognition and awareness and learning and communication, we put them all into a bundle and we think, well, that's just what life is. Yeah, that's but right. But really, you can kind of have some of those things and not others, and you can mix and match them. Exactly, yeah. Right. So if you think of learning that you have some neurons and they can take on some different information depending on the situation and then adapt, uh, which can result in slightly or completely different behavior to certain situations, which has been done by bees. So by bees, you are able to train bees to sit on certain flowers as opposed to other flowers. So they can they can learn. Yeah. How is our understanding of natural processes changing with this research and the research going on in this field? If you want to understand how plants communicate, you need to go down to the molecular level, basically. You need to understand also the cell structure and how the stresses in the cell uh, develop how water is sucked up and how this makes pot potentially sound. So the, the vibration amplitudes are also very tiny. They go into nanometers in plants. And uh, some of the signals, the acoustic uh, emission signals, they go up to 45 kilohertz, so they're in the ultrasonic range. We are doing very interdisciplinary research between engineering, physics, and biology. We use also computer science. So we bridge different fields of research and get a better understanding there. And we are pushing boundaries in these different fields. It's an old kind of communication, this vibroacoustic communication. Do you think that our language in some sense evolved out of this? Did the ancestors of humans use vibrations? Yeah, I guess so. So I think vibrations are more archaic, they're older. Cells vibrate. They start vibrating. You see this also in plants. When they suck up water, when they release water, you see this in trees, night and day activity, and you can see motions and vibrations on the cellular level. That's the, one of the most primitive ways of exchanging some kind of uh, excitation, some information. So when a plant senses an approaching insect or any kind of animal, I guess, mm. can you think of it like looking out for passwords or alarms? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So the wing beat frequency and everything, the sound uh, associated with the wing beat of a, of a pollinator is a, contains a signature which can be read by the plant. And the plant is, is co-evolved to that. So the plant probably has emerged um, its shape and everything related to the best pollinator. So the response of the plant would be then also ideal for the pollinator, similar to when a herbivorous approaches the plant, a caterpillar. And there are some very interesting papers. I think 2014 was a paper published where they monitored the chewing sounds of a caterpillar and played this back on a plant. And the plant actually responds with aggressive chemicals to repel the caterpillar just based on the acoustics. So they respond to this. They just can't move. Yeah, <laughs> they can't run away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they spread chemicals, they volatiles, and they make the leaves less tasty, whatever they can. I've read that there are some plants that could even somehow summon other 
uh, animals like stink bugs to its defense. Yeah, 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 you're right, yeah. So there is a whole cosmos of interactions we haven't really understood and explored. So there's all co-evolution. So, yeah, they call then predators of this herbivores, for instance. They could be attracted to that. It's amazing. It's like this whole kind of battle with all kinds of battle cries just right. flying around nature. Yeah, that's right. And they are all very specialized in their signaling. That's the interesting part. There's, for instance, a, a very interesting uh, pitcher plant, which attracts basically insects and protects bats, which eat the insects, but also protects the bats from parasites. These pitcher plants found in the Borneo rainforest have a champagne glass shape, which amplifies the bats' own sonar calls back to them and the bats make their way inside to sleep. And the bat itself provides feces and nitrogen to this pitcher plant. The parasites are uh, repelled by the plant. So when they are roosting above this uh, pitcher flower, they do get less parasites and live longer. And From some from kind smell. of chemical or yeah, smell? Yeah, 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 wow. Yeah. All right. Remarkable. The signaling and signals are uh, finding their way into the shape of the plant and flower. If there is this symbiosis between yeah. the, the animal and the plant. It's like they're becoming a new species together, I guess, evolutionarily. Yeah, they belong of, together. They yeah. function much better together, these two species, and they're from different kingdoms. How can we think of these kind of vibrations? Like, What do these conversations sound like? So there are certain clicking sounds in the roots you can perceive. Like, like click, 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 click. The real question is what information is contained in these clicking sounds. Well, this is something we don't really understand. So um, we, we just come again with our human-centric view, and we assume this is an um, audible sound. When I make a vibration audible, then we think that's an audible sound, but it's actually a vibration. Depending on the flower, they emit certain, when they do bus pollination, they actually specialize on the certain vibration, and then they bus. They do it over the wings, so vibrations can change the nature of plants and I, I guess presumably animals or animal behavior. Are there vibrations that you think of as good vibrations and bad vibrations, ones that help or hinder these? <clears throat> yes, yeah, certain vibrations are supportive of plant growth or they help uh, the plant to become more uh, stress resilient. Um, there are Certain vibrations we know, and this is caused in a beehive, for the larvae to grow faster. Most of these vibration studies related to health are actually conducted on cats, on on purring cats. <laughs> because uh, people were wondering what's the effect of purring cats, and there have been some observations that um, apparently they have helped bone growth. It's the frequency, wow. 50 hertz, 60 hertz, 70 hertz. When you put a cat on your broken arm, uh, the bone will grow faster together. Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this is basically most what we know. But we know that vibrations can be, um, um, can be calming. So we know this from your children. When you put them in the car, they fall asleep. It sounds very hippie-ish, doesn't like good vibes. <laughs> You know, <laughs> sending out good vibes. <laughs> That's amazing. So could you have a vibrating cast or something to heal a bone? Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. You could have that. Yeah. You could develop something like this. Yeah. Incredible. 
I don't know if anybody has done that. It's a good, good idea. <laughs> good idea. All right, I'll patent it quick. <laughs> patent it quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, cool. It seems so counterintuitive, I guess, that a vibration would be beneficial. It sounds like something you'd see on daytime television and it's like, buy this device. It has like it buzzes, it vibrates, it helps you, it makes you healthy. You know okay, what I mean? Okay. It sounds a bit like pseudoscience, uh, you know, at first, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it's a, a very f simple physical explanation you can see very often. When you move something, you stress something, you train um, an object to become more rigid or to become more stable. Okay, so how do we learn these incredible vibroacoustic languages that can heal, hurt, summon predators, or unlock treats? Well, before Dr. Ober studied vibroacoustics, he studied mathematics and engineering. I take the measurements and I'm trying to extract the underlying differential equations to form the laws of the signal. How to, for instance, synthesize these signals. I did this with uh, ants walking and termites walking. Okay, so you're analyzing the recording, you're taking those components apart, and then you're putting them back together in different configurations. Absolutely, yeah. And we'll play that one for th these bees, we'll play that Absolutely. one for these bees and see what works better. We've extracted the excitation signal. And we have done this now and we have built a model and this model can actually now play back ants walking on any material we like. Yeah. So that's the idea, but I have also a machine learning approach where I do it top down. So the idea is in the end to synthesize and understand these signals, understand the features, relate them to behavior, but also to be able to play them back. And um, for instance, use our optical geophones to record clicking sounds to understand first what is the signal, the response of the, the plant in the soil and analyze that. And then we need to relate this to the physiological processes of the plant. So if we excite the plant with a humming sound, so we have, for instance, a normal loudspeaker or we use an air puff system, we have a micro air puff system, which can simulate the wing beat of a bee. So very tiny air puffs. So we, we need to try and compare this in a bioassay, how the plant responds to these different uh, inputs. And uh, then we start doing the same what we did with insects. So we analyze the signals, we disentangle, and we analyze the response and their features and try to understand whether it's a stress signal, is there an optimum, what does it mean? And can we change then? To change the plant signals, Dr. Oberst's colleagues will edit the flower's genetics to understand how a flower functions as a microphone or how different flowers and insects communicate more effectively than others. Then they use machine learning to decode and speak the bee's language. The machine learning comes in um, synthesizing um, artificial signals, so learning how a bee hums. It's like speech recognition, but yeah. then also making with a speech recognition a co computer voice. In right, humans. yeah. And we do this with buzzing sounds. And so it tells you all of the components that make up that sound so that you can take those and then synthesize it into a new sound. That's right. What are some of the broader philosophical questions that this sort of research raises for you? The biggest philosophical question I would say is you, you, you will learn how to respect nature more and to be impressed by 
animals and plants. You, you take more care. You get more aware of your surroundings. I think this is something which is probably life-changing and will take a lot of time, I think. Uh, if you understand and if you're amazed by this function and uh, this diversity and how uh, nature has evolved and what animals and plants actually can do, you, uh, I would certainly have some more empathy as well. Thank you, Dr. Sebastian Oberst, for speaking with me for this program. Think Sustainability is made possible with the support of 2SER Radio, the University of Technology Sydney, and is heard around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Think Sustainability is made in Sydney, which sits on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, whose sovereignty was never ceded. You can subscribe to Think Sustainability wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Lawrence Bull. Thanks for listening.